Hey folks and welcome to the Daily Ratings Podcast. It's a show where each week we'll sit down with Vincent Daly to get his thoughts on the latest movies he's been watching, both older films and new releases. And don't worry, there's no spoilers. Vince will give a brief review of the movie, share some thoughts, and of course, then rate the film. The Daily Ratings are always fair, honest, and most importantly, they're consistent. On today's show, Vince will be rating and reviewing Newly Released, A Good Person by Zach Braff Newly Released Air by Ben Affleck The Pope's Exorcist by Julius Avery Nefarious by Chuck Konzelman and Carrie Solomon And finally, Renfield, directed by Chris McKay That's going to be a great show, folks, so stay tuned and enjoy Mr. Vincent Daly, how we doing, buddy? Tommy, how's it going? Uh, it's going okay for me. How was your newly released week? It's all, it did a lot of homework. They were all... <laughs> yeah, you spent some time in the theater this week. I was week. in the lab, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, my big question, will any of this actually matter against the behemoth of Mario? <laughs> Mostly no. Yeah, mostly no. Mostly no. <laughs> Mafia Mama's not uh, making the cut. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> There's something like technically 17 releases or 14 releases Oof. that came out or something like that this weekend. Absolutely crazy. Yep. Like ridiculous. And we hit, we definitely hit some of them. So some of these aren't as new release as before. So Air came out around a week ago and then A mm-hmm. Good Person came out in later March. Yep. But um, yeah, all all... Proper kind of new releases, which is I'm taking cool. it. I'm taking the five, the full five <laughs> of new releases. Okay, so we're going to kind of start with well, we're going to go in order of when they actually came out. So our, okay. er, our earliest on the list here is called A Good Person. I think it was kind of under the radar a little bit, but it does. This is a movie with uh, Pew, who we love. Pew Pew, <laughs> Pew, Pew who we love. I have, you have infected my my mind of seeing Florence Pugh as just Pew Pew. Probably one of the the worst celebrity nicknames you can even give. But it someone. meant it's, it's with love though, because we love her. <laughs> but yeah, it's a good person. It does have uh, Florence Pugh. It does have Morgan Freeman, and it's yep. directed by Zach Braff, who you and I are never excited about. <laughs> But, you know, this movie has some names behind it. So let's get into a good yeah. person. Uh, rated R, two hours and eight minutes. And what is this film kind of about? How'd you like it? Uh, I, I definitely did like it. I thought it was better than most of uh, Zach Braff's stuff that comes out. Uh, Zach Braff, of course, a writer and director. Many will know from Scrubs uh, is heading up this film. Uh, and the tone is right in line for his style. Uh, many love his 2004 cult hit Garden State. I personally hated that movie. Most, I was going to say, most people, a lot of people hate it, too. Oh, really? 
Garden State? Yeah. yeah. I think it was like at the time horribly, horribly critically reviewed. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, that, that was, of course, pre podcast, but uh, I returned to that kind of just randomly to check it out. And uh, boy, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's not good. Just annoyed by that movie. We're not, we're not Braff fans. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I am always willing to give writer directors a shot because these are their babies. You know, this is, uh, you know, as the, 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 high, the high stand that uh, Tarantino stands upon. Right. You know, he, <laughs> <laughs> the high pedestal he puts himself on, uh, you know, writer directors they are they are running the show here. So a little late to this one, but it was between this and Mafia Mama. So uh, I avoided the horde of Italian jokes to choose a lesser evil. <laughs> uh, there's also uh, a a new like uh, I don't know Italian American comedy coming out with Robert De Niro. I, I saw it in the slew of trailers I had to sit through oh, for all yeah, these. Yeah. And, yeah, I just don't got know. Got upset. <laughs> yeah, just like stop making them. Just, I, I, I don't want that. You know. <laughs> I mean, those are stray paycheck movies. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But uh, still, a fairly new film uh, releasing in March, uh, and uh, I, I think why I maybe stayed away from this uh, was I don't know. Uh, March was 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 fairly busy, but um, I, I did want to give Florence a shot. This is a rated R addiction drama comedy. I wouldn't exactly call it a dark comedy, uh, more so a drama with charm. It's not uh, related at all in in storyline, but I would compare this to like a Gran Torino in that it is a feel-good movie with edge, basically. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, I think that makes sense. Yeah. It, believe me, story-wise, this is nothing like Gran Torino, but uh, in its R-ratedness, but still has this very bow-on-top, you know, uh, feel-good objective it could, to it. Could, okay, okay, gotcha. You couldn't compare to like last week's Don't Worry He Won't Get Far on Foot where it's um, like darker comedy but drama dealing with addiction yeah I think Don't Worry He Won't Get Far on Foot was so much better at being a drama than a drama comedy ah, okay. you know what yeah, I mean yeah, yeah. Okay. so um, uh, and, and I feel like that wasn't I don't know I, I don't think that movie was trying to be feel good in a lot of ways it was just kind of like a it ends on a surprising, surprising yeah. maybe happier note than the rest of the film. Right, Which right. could be quite sad. Right. Okay, And, okay, and maybe you. there's a reason why this biopic is being made after this dude. Right, you know? okay. So, our, in our story, we follow Allison, a bright and clever young girl that has her life transformed uh, tragically by an accident. Uh, there is a cross-section of themes of big pharma, small-town blues, and survivor guilt. And there is a lot of trauma that is juggled between all characters of this. Uh, kind of no one escapes with their with their skin still on. That road to recovery, emotionally and with dependency, is what we strive towards with this story. And that type of, um, if anything, you hit the nail on the head. It is very close in that it is a heavy... AA and A type of meeting movie, mm-hmm. and it is about recovery uh, at its core. Uh, script wise, I think this is where this one falls short. Uh, characters have just a bad tendency to just spout their their motivations and their history at a drop of a dime. I mean, they are just chatterboxes. <laughs> it's like it's like the storytelling that is within the walls of the AA meeting it follows them, haunts them, and then they, they can't they can't really like break <laughs> that habit of just dumping, you know, their their entire story. 
I think it's a shame because I thought many performances were fantastic, but just kind of burdened by how they have to shovel their dialogue out. Even as the plot unfolds, there is a convenience that is given to bring characters together only for more info dumps. For anyone that has, that decides to see this, no spoilers or anything, but there's a sequence where characters have to travel to the city. It takes place in Jersey. Okay. And they have to travel into Manhattan. And they just show up at the exact precise spot. And you can just see those like conveniences. It's only for us to get more moments for these kind of emotional trauma dumps, which not bad. Performances are there to sup uh, to to you know support it, right, right. But just lazy writing and, and lazy character writing. It just serves it to you on a platter, kind exactly. of exactly. Yeah, there's 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 nothing left to even body language in these moments or uh, or uh, unspoken type of dialogue. But luckily, uh, it's in those performances that I found a lot of enjoyment. I would say particularly in the emotion of Florence Pugh and Morgan Fre- Freeman, uh, it felt very real. I think um, once again. Florence is able to, uh, I don't know, uh, it, it, I was watching this movie and I was saying, eh, she, she's almost able to carry this on her shoulders uh, alone, no less having a huh. powerhouse like uh, Morgan Freeman to it. And I think when I covered something like, um, oh man, what was that movie? That <laughs> She's the nurse. Uh, I can't remember because we covered a few of her stuff. Yeah. I mean, the last thing was... It was, was the Netflix one. Mm. Well, not Don't Worry, he should... Not, don't worry, won't get far. But don't worry, darling. Not, oh, right, right. She was in that. Certainly, that's a case. Oh as my well. gosh, that's right. That the Netflix. I forget. I totally forget. But kind of that more solemn film. Yes, she plays a nerd. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And I, I just find we that we did that she's, with in Sheeran, I believe. Yep, exactly, yeah. exactly. I, I just find that she's able to kind of capture a realism on screen. Yeah, she uh, and, feels like a real person. Yeah, yeah. And, and this character she's playing is definitely a a Zach Braff kind of character. She's very <laughs> manic. She's she's clever. She's funny. But then she has to also deal with this. And I think it's in that that difference in that variance that um, I was I was really happy with her performance here. And really, the same goes for Morgan Freeman. Uh, still I got it. They still got it. <laughs> Who knows when he's gonna go? <laughs> I I can't say the last time I've seen Morgan Freeman in like a serious role. I feel like he's been doing these like geriatric uh, yes, roles. Yes, <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> so. And it was like these bit parts almost. Yeah, kind of. exactly. So, but I was happy to see him in 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 this type of uh, kind of emotional role and his character as well, being stuck in the middle of this trauma, but then kind of unfolding and revealing that he has parts of some history himself that he has to get overcome. Uh, I, I really did enjoy it. Hmm. So uh, we get some wonderful musical performance from Florence, which recalls back to her early days of starting out. She started out as kind of like a, I don't know, like a YouTube music. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I really don't. Yeah, I don't know much about her. Yeah, her I don't, I don't know so where like... the jump to acting was, but her, her like early, early days. Wow. Uh, yeah, okay. She has like musical covers. But yeah, uh, as you really introduced uh, and comparing it to what we covered last week, this is yet another film about recovery that we've touched on. Uh, and I think a comparison between them can show where the aspects of this movie fall short. And I think it's, it's in that objective that it's really trying to no matter how dramatic no matter how emotional and how tough things get you know that things are going to come out all right and uh oh okay i can't yeah i can't really describe where you pick that up in the film 
but it's it, it kind of saps the tension. It saps hmm. uh, any kind of drama okay. to it. I think uh, the objective of it is just plain and simple, feel good. And even though that the tone gets heavy at times, there's an obvious light at the end of the tunnel that shines just a bit too bright. Uh, not a bad film whatsoever, but we're going to go ahead and give a good person 63. 63%. Bad name. <laughs> good. good person. Uh, bad name. That's how you get lost in, in the it internet. It is a little blah. It yeah. is a little blah. Yeah. Okay, 63%, though. Not bad. Maybe yeah. if, for some reason, if that's going to scratch an itch for somebody, sure. I guess give it a watch. For what it's worth, I was talking to someone in, in our in our private lives, yeah. and they were saying, cover more feel-good films, and then this one kind of came along. So I have a feeling I know exactly who said that, too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, okay. So let's move on. So like we said, that came out kind of later March. This came out just last week. This is Air. This is, it's punching above its weight. It's doing better than expected in in the theaters. Yep. It's got a huge cast. Let's kind of jump into it right away. This sure. is kind of the origin story of Michael Jordan with dealing with Nike. Yes. yes. And let's kind of get into it. It's rated R, hour and 51 minutes. How was it? Uh, I would say it is very cookie cutter. Uh, it is your standard kind of biopic film. Uh, you were worried it was going to be that too. Yeah, <laughs> I was worried, and uh, it really, it really was that. I, I was hoping for a little spice, a little yeah. something. Uh, ben Affleck is directing. Yep, yep. I thought that was maybe going to be a good thing. Chubb Batman is back. Yep. Uh, he's uh, he's once again in the director's chair after a seven year break. You know, I, I, I'm a fan of him directing. Uh, I'll always kind of hold the torch for. Argo, I know we kind of disagree on that I don't a think, bit. I think you think I dislike <laughs> yeah. it more than I do. Right. I'm more okay with it than, than I think you think. Yeah. But I don't think it's anything special, because it was like getting all kinds... It was nominated for Best Picture. Oh, yeah. I think that was like an Oscar sweep one, too, that year. Did it uh, win for Best Picture that year? I think so. I mean, it's just... It's not that good. Fair, fair. I, I enjoy but it, I, but yeah, yeah. Right, it's right. But if, like, I, if I see Affleck directing, I think it's... I'm, right away, I'm like, okay, it's probably an all right movie. Sure, I sure. am. I am there with him. Yeah. I, I think where this kind of falls into how much it's about Michael Jordan, how much it's about Nike is a good 20-80, 20% basketball, NBA, Jordan, uh, 80% Nike corporate culture, you know, versus Adidas versus Converse, you know. Based and, on the trailer, that's what I thought. Okay. All right. Yeah, I was expecting a lot of Nike heavy. I was surprised that, I don't know, with a character like a young Michael Jordan, that they didn't make it a little bit more about him, but uh, we'll get into how that's presented right, in, right. in a little bit. Air is a flashback to the uh, impossible, <laughs> a point in time that Nike was not on top as the most influential shoe company around. Uh, the name, of course, refers to the skyrocketed Air Jordan line, uh, easily the most successful shoe line of all time time. Talk about right place, right time to make this movie. The sneaker culture and collecting, sneaker collecting, has really reached incredible heights in the last five years. So I, I feel like uh, as far as the marketing or the business of this business flick uh, is, is is fine tuned. I feel like this hit a, a a nice point, and maybe that goes into some of your um, comments about punching above weight in the box office. Yeah, and I also think it's been enough time where this feels like because this kind of starts to pl- take place in the mid to late. 80s, correct? Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think enough time has actually passed in this story that makes it a bit of like a history telling as sure, well. You know? Sure, sure. Air Jordans aren't going out of style or anything like that. Right, you know, It's yeah. not a flash in the pan. Real-life marketer Sonny Vaccaro is played by Matt Damon, uh, willing to make a big gamble on backing just 
one player with Nike's basketball division hanging in the balance, but you can bet it all on Michael Jordan, and boy, did Nike win big. I feel like this sells a a good environment uh, where, I don't know, Nike doesn't feel small, because even the film recognizes they have their running division and their top of the running division, but mm-hmm. it, it's interesting. Uh, there's, there's, uh, It's right in the trailer, but there's a funny joke that Chris Tucker makes that, um, what is a NBA All-Star shoe? It's Converse. And it's just like, what? <laughs> when you think of Converse, it's like, I don't know. I mean, that's, yeah, that's crazy. It's <laughs> yeah. what it was back then. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the old videos, everybody wearing their Converse is hilarious. <laughs> yeah. But back then, I mean, th- that's what's kind of interesting where I think the story itself is kind of cool, not just the origin story of Air Jordans and everything like yep. that, but also... Because it's so Nike heavy, they were not as big of a player mm, back yeah. then. Like we know Nike to be a juggernaut now. Sure, it wasn't sure. so much back then too. So it's a little bit of a underdog type story. Yeah, too. I would say so. And and like I said, as far as the the proportions here, the film structure is twenty eighty sports biopic and then Nike themed. You know, a uh, sexy finance movie. Uh, for any new folks listening, I refer to these kind of high-strung business stories as a subgenre of sexy finance, as, <laughs> as funny as that term is. Uh, good examples being Moneyball, uh, The Big Short, and of course, recently covered Tetris. Uh, And like we covered in that review, there is some fun in seeing the early days of these companies, equally for Nike, but also Adidas and Converse. There is some enjoyment to that business landscape and and knowing, obviously, where it's going to go. Yeah, definitely. And I think I think the fact that you're kind of in the 80s helps, too. Yeah. Because you get the retro feel on screen yeah, and everything yeah. like that. Affleck yeah. looks hilarious. <laughs> Boy, does so. he. <laughs> so all it's that like, helps you know you're bit. making the movie, dude. Like, you don't have to, <laughs> you don't have to dress like a clown as well. <laughs> What's odd is that we never see Michael Jordan directly on screen. Um, he's always either obscured or, you know, whoever is the stand-in playing him. He's not talking or anything like that. I feel like that's a um, it's it's an odd odd thing to have, uh, despite the obvious focus of the story being Michael Jordan. Yeah. Um, instead, the focus is on the parents, played by uh, Julius Tenen, uh and the always wonderful Viola Davis. I personally enjoyed the switch up. I think. Hmm. Uh, Clearly, I mean, the payoff is in Viola Davis's performance because she's phenomenal a, yeah, and she's, she's easily the best. Great. Yeah, she, man, she's always the best. Yeah, so she she carves out her. It's justified because of the performance being in the film, but I can't help but shake the feeling that sports and sneakerheads alike might be disappointed by the execution here in coming and expecting this is about Air Jordan. We're not going to see anything with that. He's not going to speak once. What if you did one or maybe two scenes Mm -hmm. and then you just make sure that he's like blowing up the scene? Right, right. Like, what do you think of the idea of if it it was Michael B. Jordan as Michael Jordan? (laughs) And just come in and was like with a dynamite scene. Oh, the the new the. Well, I mean, that the would new be... Space Jam made that joke. Oh, did they really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, not the new anymore, but Space Jam: A New yeah, Legacy. Yeah, New Legacy made that joke. Oh, so. okay, all right. <laughs> Maybe they wanted to run away from that expectation. Um, so overall, with the, with that decision. You're, you were okay with it, but really just because if Viola Davis was that good. Yeah, I think she, she justifies it. I think, uh, it, and I use it lightly, but artfully as well, how it's presented in the frame, it, it's intentional. You know that, like, he, he's not speaking because he's, I don't know, he's not overly cocky, but the the, the film does a good job at ju- kind of justifying why we're not hearing from okay. Michael. Um, how old, but he's like, he's in the NBA, 
Uh, yeah, so he just like got a, into it. Okay. It's weird that like mommy and daddy had to speak for him yeah. in the film. Yeah. And, and granted, I think the performances are great, but it yeah, it's a little bit odd. And again, my observation here is that I you know, I'm not a, a basketball fan. I'm not a, a sneakerhead. Yeah. The direct demographic that this is this is pointed after coming to the Air Jordan movie, I think I don't know. I, I I could imagine people being disappointed with that factor. So I want to you know kind of make note of it. Yeah, this uh, I, you know what it really is is more of a Nike story. Yeah, this is a Nike. Oh story. yeah, it's Nike. I, yeah. I won't say origin story, but it's the thing that launched them into massive <laughs> right success. Right. Get a lot more money than running <laughs> right. ever got them. Basically, <laughs> uh, some other standouts are Chris Tucker and Ben Affleck uh, playing real life Nike execs. And I hear Chris Tucker's great. Yeah, he's he's honestly great. I, I was I was I was delighted to see him. He's, <laughs> he really has he really steals some scenes too. And I can't say there's a lot of value that comes from him <laughs> stealing scenes, but it's it's enjoyable. <laughs> I, I I love Chris Tucker. And in classic uh, biopic fashion, uh, the ending credits gives us pictures comparing them. So that, that that's enjoyable as well. Again, in the context here that someone's maybe seeing this because they are interested in Nike's origins and seeing these you know these real life. Uh, execs and how right. they how they negotiate this deal. My last piece of praise is actually for camera work. There is an interesting depth of field on the camera uh, in otherwise mundane scenes of of talking, close, tight, and intentionally blurred. This may not sound like much, but as we will cover in a later entry this week, it was necessary to engage the audience, and I actually found how what would otherwise be a normal shot reverse shot mm-hmm. uh, a lot of interesting use of, of the camera in this film something to kind of distinguish it however my entire experience <laughs> was was tainted by some extremely oh, no. lazy nostalgia and music choices um, the the whole film, <laughs> yeah, Tommy, like, hey, what else? Is this? Yeah. <laughs> this has been the whole film is a hardcore nostalgia effects to the point that it's 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 a bit annoying, honestly. Uh, scenes are just constantly filled with just unrelated bullshit. I swear to God, someone in the office is just playing Trivial Pursuit during working hours. Wow. Like it's just like, oh, okay, you know, the the movie is just like. <laughs> chock full with 80s references that are just shoveled in your face constantly and it's just like ah, man it's not that it was a nice touch it was, it was yeah. that it was beaten into you excessive yeah yeah this is the starting point for why i really vividly hated the music in this film <laughs> and how it was used <laughs> uh, literally every scene transition uses a 15 second uh 15 seconds of an 80s song no matter what it is without fail in Every edit that is just packed with, along with a song. It's paired along with a song. Uh, it was just very, very annoying to me. Feeling like a studio edit after test audiences were a little too bored with the film. And uh, there's also, I can't ignore the fact that the duration that these songs play are so safe and so short hmm. for the licensing purposes of the song. I can't help but feel it was a, you know, at the 11th hour, it was an ad to to the edit of this film. That or it was people thinking that it's an 80s movie. Let's hit them with everyth- everything yeah. we have. Let's pick, just go through the songs that everyone knows. <laughs> yeah. We get 15 seconds for transitions yep. and then bing, bang, boom. Yep. Were the transitions at least 
were they matching the songs with the actions being taken place? In, um, a little this? bit. We flash to like Adidas headquarters. They play Run DMC, you know, my Adidas. Uh, or, you know, when, when, when Sonny's making, you know, further and further gambles on this deal. It's, it's got like inspiring, you know, kind of the okay. 80s arena rock right, type right, of music. Right. So, like I always say, it's not a judgment of the choices of the songs. I liked a lot of the songs. Don't okay. get me wrong. Right. It is how they're implemented. And I think here it was so predictable it really hurt the experience right. i mean like clockwork yeah, anytime there's a scene transition formulaic yeah and yeah way too consistent absolutely mm. my suspicions this was a starting note Uh-oh. throughout the film <laughs> my suspicions were taken to the stratosphere though uh when i counted 43 songs Whoa. in the credits of this film 43 wow. i'm not joking i mean maybe my my you know <laughs> That's crazy. My tired eyes after so many films could have been miscounted, but 43 wow. is what I counted. You can, and you waited in the theaters you wanted to oh, see? Oh, yeah, I had to. I had to. Because I, I was just like, I don't know, I was exhausted. <laughs> it's a sub-two-hour movie, too. Oh, yeah. That's I, a lot And that's of what I mean. Music. There's, there's no in, uh, intentionality. There's no... It it's also fits in this kind of like this safe license use. Yeah. It's predictable. It's pointless. And like I said, I, I want to always stress again because... I don't nitpick this for style or flavor. I nitpick this for how the film is crafted. It's not the selection of the music. It's how it's used within the film. Right. Because I thought it, that was extremely lazy. Yeah, and you're not one person to say, well, you get why there's 80s music in it, and you would do the <laughs> right. same thing, but you, it's just completely different. Right. Exactly. And more tasteful. And exactly. Yeah. Like that, yeah. Uh, these generic elements uh, honestly reminded me of the worst part of 2018's Bohemian Rhapsody uh, for being very uh, cookie cutter. Think that's what unfortunately I could not get out of my mind. Not that again, just like the Gran Torino <laughs> comparison. Uh, it, not that it represents it in story, but it does kind of resemble it in structure. Okay, and sure. So, this somehow being a generic version of these business biopics cropping up, and that I am positive we will see more of in years to come. We're gonna go ahead and give Air a fifty-nine. Wow, not too strong. Yeah, not too strong. Chubb Batman. Interesting. I was kind of excited for it because <laughs> when you see Chris Tucker, I mean, it is loaded. I mean, Jason Bateman is in it. Yep. I'm sure he just plays it's Jason Bateman. It's a fun, slick movie. Right. For sure. It moves along yes. and it tells a story. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. It tells the story that, yeah. But but honestly, I mean, when, when you look at the outcome of this, and this was a kind of a similar problem that I had with Tetris. I didn't bring it up in either of these reviews directly, but the stakes are, you know what I mean? Is it really world-changing? I mean, yes, Air Jordan makes a lot of money, and that's fine, but... Am I really yeah. at the edge of my seat to say, "Oh, is Jordan gonna sign?" You know, I, I, I don't know. I think I think you go to this movie mm-hmm. to see a documentary in, the, in a theater. Like yeah, a theatrical documentary is why you see this for sure. There are no stakes because yep. you know them already. Yeah, yeah. It's just the idea is here's the story of it. Yeah, it's yeah. a little slicker in its presentation. And I will say, I mean, I've always liked the pace of these kinds of movies mm-hmm. or just like the feel and vibe like i like a big short sure these are definitely starting to be their own little definitely subgenre. oh yeah little sexy pe- finance yeah i like that it'd be a compilation on the site <laughs> <laughs> they might not get the best ratings <laughs> right but they're right. a thing yeah yeah they are a thing <laughs> <laughs> um, um okay so let's um We'll do one more, and then we'll go into... Producer. We'll go to, then we'll go into producers. Okay. I love it. Okay. So let's get into... This was the second... This was the number two movie of the week. 
Surprise. That's unbelievable. Yeah, we, we did totally would have lost so much money on that. Yeah. Um, let's get into The Pope's Exorcist, directed by Julius Avery. It's starring uh, Russell Crowe. Uh, this movie. Chuck Crowe. Yeah. I don't think people. <laughs> this movie kind of came out of nowhere. In my understanding was it was kind of just sitting there. I think it was Sony. And because April is kind of so lacking mm. they said okay let's go ahead and throw it on this week and yeah. i think that's also why we had something like for like i said at the beginning something like 14 other yeah. releases yep small releases guardians so, of the galaxy around the corner fast around the corner you know oh yeah and then the summer it's just every man for themselves <laughs> indiana jones is gonna be coming up yep yep so like i said it, it was the second best film of the weekend which was more than surprising it's the pope's exorcist rated our hour and 43 minutes russell crowe <laughs> let's get into it a little bit then. <laughs> it's a super bad film <laughs> it's 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 not good uh julius avery uh is really an awful director uh we covered samaritan last year as one of the worst offerings streaming or otherwise with a whopping 25 25 yeah one of the worst yeah <laughs> yeah uh but uh, i think it shows an important trend that this isn't just horror. It's horror action blockbuster trash. Uh, and That's important. Yeah, and but that's also important for the box office, too. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> trash will succeed sometimes. <laughs> and, and that's what we got here. <laughs> this one's super odd. Um, this film uses the real-life exorcist as its main character, Father Gabriel Armorth, uh, a Vatican exorcist who has performed thousands of exorcisms and dying in 2016. I guess it's a shame that he couldn't see him portrayed by chubby Russell Crowe. Uh, <laughs> folks, make sure to break out those rookie Catholic cards to see if they're worth anything now. <laughs> uh, but here the, he is portrayed as a bad boy maverick exorcist <laughs> who doesn't play by the rules. <laughs> I kid you not. It's, it's, it's terrible. Imagine like a horror hard-boiled cop with the Vatican being his commissioner, commissioner trying to rein him in. Um, that's really the tone of this film. <laughs> it's as <laughs> insane as that sounds. The plot then focuses around a family inheriting a castle in Spain, which of course is a festering ground for demons. And these demons also have a specific vendetta against the Pope's exorcist uh, as a greater hellish plot unfolds uh it's it may not feel like an action movie when you're watching it uh but i i i stress to you it is action it is horror action really? yeah um i'll get into a little bit of what i would compare this in, in in a bit but uh how scenes are set up how in a writing sense this is set up it's action is this i hate to make maybe this is just the, the episode of comparisons here of yeah. loose comparisons <laughs> yeah loose is, is it like a, is it like a rated r da vinci code oh interesting I da think... vinci code has some action in it yeah we gotta well, watch the... so soon yeah. the second one is so but you know what i mean yeah yeah you're dealing with with definitely horror yeah but as far as how it cross paths with vatican and, and yeah yeah absolutely <laughs> catholic society yeah now is this like as now it is still horror Yes. You know, and it belongs there. Right. And that's why I say, like, if, you know, when you're watching this, it, it's undeniably horror, but I'm telling you, the structure is action. And, and that's why it's also a blockbuster. And that's why it's, it's trash. also trash. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's it's rough. Uh, Russell Crowe is uh, kind of bad in this, unfortunately. I think it, it only slightly works. His character has a 
a serious streak because he's dealing with exorcisms, mm-hmm. obviously. But he's also a, a jovial Italian man that rides a Vespa. Uh, or vi- and rides, a priest, though. Yeah, and, and a priest. and But he's kind of uh, like, you know, just like a fun Italian guy. <laughs> so maybe I should have watched Mafia. Maybe I did watch Mafia Mama, you know? <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's jo- mafia, ma- <laughs> ma- mafia father. Yeah, yeah, it's, exactly. It's <laughs> the jokes that come out of his, mo- his mouth are just very odd, and at, at even odder times, even characters within the story start to get annoyed at his jokes at multiple points in the film, and it's it just kind of derails the whole experience. Um, why I give this a slight pass? There is clearly a. A, a real life priest that maybe was a little bit jokey, maybe was a, a jovial Italian man in the yeah. Vatican. So I, I don't know. This film has a very slight shell of trying to be, <laughs> you know, some sort of, you know, tale of his thousands of exorcisms uh, and making him an action hero. But I think it harms the main purpose of this movie, and that is horror uh, directly. Mm. To boot, the whole film is just not scary at all. It's not a critique that I usually throw out there lightly, and I review a lot of horror films, too. <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> to Tom's uh, dismay. <laughs> it's what they... That's, I mean, that's horror films are coming. Look at these three films that we have. Oh, here. yeah. I mean, horror films is what's the hot, it's the hot new thing. Yep, yep. Next week is Evil Dead. <sighs> I mean, yeah. I'll have to circle back for Scream 7. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, it, it just really falls short. Moments are either just not scary, and, and it's hard to maybe explain that without spoilers, but I feel like a lot of moments as well are self sabotaged by this light comedy. Uh, a perfect example is that. There is a creepy design to this Spanish castle that mm-hmm. they're in. It's a good setting. Uh, there's, there's, you know, obviously it plays to that kind of old Catholic type of look to it, Inquisition stuff. There is a reveal that the basement and uh, the well leading underneath the castle is lined with skulls. Um, it is, it is filled with corpses and skulls, and you know, it, it initially. Something something spooky, you know right. what I mean? Something to put us in the right direction. <laughs> How Russell Crowe reveals this to his other characters is he comes back up and he throws a skull comedically at them ah. and they go, ooh, 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 you know. <laughs> <laughs> and I cannot tell you. That's what I mean by yeah, shoots bad. itself in the foot. Now, when we spend significant time in the creepiest portion of the castle, guess who's not, a sca- guess who's not afraid of these skeletons? Me. Yeah. The audience. Because Russell Crowe juggled the... What is Russell Crowe doing, honestly? I, I don't know. He doesn't care anymore, does he? I think he might be in check mode. He's, yeah. he's, he's getting checked. This is like that movie he did with the Road Rage. Oh, oh Rage or something? Yeah, yeah unhinged. unhinged. Yeah. Right. It's, on the, it's on the website, but... <laughs> yeah. I, is it horror at all? Like, is it just th- like a thriller at times? And uh, then this I horrible mean, it comedy? is horror because you're dealing with exorcisms. And, okay, uh, all right, yeah. You know, you'll get a, you know, blood writing on their stomach or, you know, elongated mouth or, sure. you know, something like that. So, you know, don't get me wrong. There are elements of that. But I feel like all of them either were not that scary, kind of been there, done that, or were actively self-sabotaged <laughs> by the film's comedy. And again, <laughs> you know, they go down to this basement and there's there's corpses and, and everything like this. And it's like, wow, all right, you know, cool set design. I liked I liked these elements, you know. But 
I destroyed. Yeah, He's I can't trashed. say I'm scared because, you know, he was juggling a skull <laughs> not too long ago. Like, what is this slapstick? Oh, man. Oh, man. So, yeah, uh, you know, it just that, that main purpose of horror, uh, it takes a back seat. So, the film initially was showing some promise of working hmm. how something works like 2005's Constantine. Uh, where it's not super scary, but it uses a lot of religious lore and kind of crafts almost a fantasy type of movie to it. Uh, we saw this fall short last year with Pray for the Devil. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah and, and, and trying for a similar, like, using Catholicism as, not a fantasy, but, you know, it's using it as, as it, its It whips ammunition. it into a bit of a tale. It's it's yes. almost like a Van Helsing type story. Sure, sure, absolutely. Yeah. So... I think it's just a it's it's just a losing formula, just because I don't know. Uh, in I mean, I haven't. It's been years since I've seen Constantine. I remember liking Constantine, but I can't say any of these films work because there's a separation between the real fear of you know uh, a bodily possession, right, uh, and you know these these blockbuster elements to a movie. Yep. So. If I could see, be so bold, I'll introduce another subgenre, two in one episode, as cool Catholic or Catholic cool. I don't know which one do you like. I don't know. <laughs> I, I know what you're saying. Let's let's we'll, we'll workshop that. <laughs> we'll send that one up to corporate or send it through legal. See what see if it sticks or not. <laughs> what what plays better with? Yeah, audiences. let's let it gel maybe for the next week, and we'll just we'll circle back on it. Yeah, we'll circle back. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, that's where tentatively I would kind of put these in that. Uh, you know, I don't know if. It's a growing subgenre, but they all kind of feel in that same way that it's using Catholicism or religion as more of a fantasy element than horror or you know actually religious. Yeah, so. because, yeah, no, definitely because I think where Da Vinci Code tries to play it more to somewhat realistic. I mean, it's laughable sure. to say right, that, right. but this is actually like thematical elements that make it more of a fantasy or mm-hmm. theatrical type because i mean it, it, i don't know what is that genre i've never seen besides little bits uh, of, of the da vinci code franchise that's more of like a national treasure right it's more like history like history adventure okay uh, yeah okay I'm, I'm spitballing here again i haven't seen the film so. <laughs> i was trying to work bond into it like, it's like a vatican oh, bond right almost. isn't he a little bit of a spy <laughs> <laughs> He's a jet set. <laughs> oh boy, uh, Tom Hanks, <laughs> international man of mystery. The worst Tom Hanks hair, by the way, oh, right. of his career. <laughs> right. Anyway, so cool. Uh, what was your genre? Cool idea Catholic. <laughs> Catholic cool. Yeah, double C's isn't bad. Yeah, it's so bad. All right, maybe we'll see. But yeah, I, at least the observation between fantasy recent faith. history. <laughs> oh, fantasy faith. I, that's pretty good. Okay, we'll see. We'll, again, we're. <laughs> working on it we're workshopping it folks you're right it's not like sexy finance right you know, that's its own <laughs> but yeah um at least the observation in the last you know year or so pray for the devil this they all kind of fall into this into this kind of growing style if you will as a final note uh this movie tries for a sequel bait at the Ooh. end <laughs> boy does it fall flat on its face uh, i sincerely <laughs> hope the box office success isn't enough of a flash in the pan to bring about a pope cinematic universe we're gonna go ahead and give the pope's exorcist a 32 32 okay <laughs> we're down there. that's a bad yeah we are down there we'll see if we can get out of it i'm right. not so confident in this episode right. <laughs> um 32 for the pope's exorcist okay like i said made nine million yeah 
Which, you know, I mean, Super Mario made $92 million for a second weekend. It's crazy. <laughs> but still two. It's still number two. Right. It's still number two. And uh, John Wick, number three. Hanging in oh, there. Oh, there we go. Hang- it even won on Saturday or something. I forget which day. But it's, it's cool. It's, it's hanging in there still. Good. Uh, but okay. That is a terrible 32% <laughs> for the Pope's exorcist. Ladies and gentlemen, okay, well, let's keep things moving on here. We are going to go into our producer segment, Finn, because we have a producer this Ooh. week. We have another friend that's back. Um, we have, if I can pull it up here, uh, Brandon Beebe <laughs> is producing once again. <laughs> if I had to put money on it, I knew bringing up Sonic in that last episode. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime you evoke, just invoking Sonic, everything. <laughs> get some sort of donation in. Now, but Brandon sends in, guess what, $64, Finn. <laughs> Um, he goes, oh, no. <laughs> Whoa, that's all right. That's all right. Is that okay? <laughs> he goes, okay, all right. He goes, Mario voice, oh, no. He goes, Vinny, why do you have to give me so much hope? <laughs> all the positive comments. I thought maybe Mario would crack the 70s, but you again crush my hopes <laughs> and dreams. <laughs> Love all the Easter eggs, like having Mario's actual voice actor in the movie. Uh, yep, yep. The DK rap, the Mario Kart 64 rainbow road jump that uh-huh. lets you skip half the track, and the Toads telling Mario that Princess is in another castle. Yep, yep. Uh, one day, Vinny, you will love Sonic and Mario. <laughs> <laughs> I do actually have a question, though. Do you think that a Nintendo cinematic universe could come from the success of the Mario movie? Mm. And uh, And would you want one? Uh, P.S. Peaches, 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 peaches. <laughs> I'm left out. Now, now I'm left out in the dark okay. on that one. I don't know. That, that's the song Jack Black sings. Oh, yeah, okay. It's like a peach okay. ballad. It's, it's, it's honestly great. It's honestly great. So, um, Cinematic so, Universe. Well, first off, he, he's, he's still upset. You broke his hopes and dreams again. Crushed <laughs> his hopes and dreams. You're breaking it down here. <laughs> But yeah, a Nintendo Cinematic Universe, your thoughts? I think uh, I have two thoughts. I, I mean, I would love a Nintendo Cinematic Universe. I mean, a dream if I was ever to make a Nintendo movie, a dream project would be a Metroid Alien type of movie. Oh, that's very... Oh, my God, uh, that would be great. And, but, like, is Nintendo going to do that? Probably not, you know? I do think there's some serious business prospect uh, in the movie itself. Luigi is never shown outside of like a scary theme. He's he's captured, he's in Bowser's castle. I think that's very intentional because if they ever do like a Luigi's Mansion or associating Luigi with spooky things, they're planting the seed with that a little bit. What what kids right. will recognize yeah. Luigi with. Ghost and then you yep. have ghosts. Okay, so yeah, I mean, honestly, I think the idea of a Nintendo cinematic universe has serious, the idea of it has serious teeth. Yeah. For two reasons. One, obviously, the success of this film. Yeah, so right. it keeps the studio right going. The wall. But this is Nintendo and Universal coming together to make this. So Universal does have some play and some rights. Yep, yep. And why Universal would also push that, not just for money, but because what they could do for their amusement parks then. Mm, yes, the, cross-pollination. The IP that they could grab. Because yeah. Universal is definitely eating some of Disney's lunch right now. Sure. I think the most visited amusement park last year was Universal. Really? Now, Disney has so many many to like spread apart. Mm, sure, th- sure. So there is that. Yeah. But yeah, Universal is, like, is, is a serious player. And if they could put, just inject huge basically theme parks mm-hmm. on themselves mm-hmm. theme park size sections of just mario yep man i mean you're pushing that for multiple reasons at that point yeah i mean like even even a seed for nintendo land rides are they going to tie that to games or are they going to tie it to these big movies i think the more likely as other you know theme parks operate yeah i would say characters sure sure as long as the characters are in the films yeah 
they can play off the rides and whatever, mm-hmm. however they would yeah. make it. But I think it's funny I, you could do yeah, the <laughs> Disney Castle. Just have Peach's Castle, yeah, a complete yeah. competitor to Disney. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think you hit the nail on the head with. Um, I mean, the box office. It's. It's. I would say if it wasn't in their plans before, it is now. Uh, oh, you cannot not yeah, put this down. Exactly. So It'd people be, want more. Um, the fan versus critic reception, yeah. as we talked about. You know, I think that that's. That's a, yeah. a green light for studios. It, it's happening. I mean, there's going to be more movies. The question is, are they going to stick with the Mario? Are they going to stick with the Plumber Brothers? Mm-hmm. Or are they going to expand it? Yeah. And, I mean, there's a, the characters there are so many. <laughs> you could do some really cool stuff. And just cross-pollinate your characters. Yeah. Because they yep. can all play well together. Absolutely. You already have Donkey Kong in this. Give Donkey Kong a spinoff. Hopefully not Seth Rogen. But <laughs> well, yeah, there's that problem, too. Right. It's a lot more Charlie Day to have to listen <laughs> oh, to. Oh, right. Right. <laughs> um, but, Brandon, $64, Brandon. Thank you so much. You are, Absolutely. Ex- you continue to be a producer of the Daily Ratings. You're executive producer of 79. I definitely think Brandon has... Donated the most. He is coming. Mm. I don't know. He's not like close, close, but he's definitely approaching his directorship of five hundred dollars. Oh, so you're working your way up there, Brandon. We cannot tell you how much that means to us. Yeah, we're early on. We're growing, and um, that is just sixty four dollars and how much you've given. It, it, it's pretty incredible. So executive producer for episode seventy nine, folks. If you yourself want to be a producer, you go to the dailyratings.com. You go to the donations tab, and through monetary support. Uh, you go ahead and send a donation in our way. You can write in a note just like Brandon did of whatever content you want for us to read, and we'll read it here uh, Read it here on air. It's whatever amount that you want. It's a value-for-value model. So what kind of value are you getting from the podcast, the website, and now the newsletter? Again, sign for sign up for it at the bottom of the website. <laughs> at the bottom of the website. Where's the donation? I know. Um, <laughs> bottom of the website, though. Sign up for the newsletter. It's going to be coming out. I told Vin, I'm deciding. It's, I think it's going to come out Tuesday mornings, not Monday mornings now, because I want to make sure i have the exact box office for the weekend mm. and by like late sunday night 5 a.m monday it, i don't know if they're quite there yet i think it's worth it alone uh, just just to get more accurate numbers you know? yeah exactly could be yeah we wanted the box office numbers to be in there and, and of course there's all other kinds of goodies the mm. news the fun stuff to click on maybe a little this maybe a little that you know maybe <laughs> there might be some food in there whatever <laughs> Anyway, it's the Daily Ratings newsletter. Sign up that for the bottom of the website. And then go to the donations tab if you want to become a producer, just like Brandon. Okay, Vin. With that, let's move on to our final two newly released films. This one did not do as well. <laughs> in way less theaters, though, for opening day. Very crowded theater, though, I went it to. It was not. I swear to you. I swear. When did you go see this? Friday or Saturday? Uh, this was Saturday. Crowded theater? Uh, yeah. And I think it was just because, you know, people were coming out to, to rep for it. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> um, it did do well as far as, I think this was like 10th or something in the weekend. Right, right. But it only came out in less than 1,000 theaters. So a lot of people look at like, what was your average? You know, I'm such a stat guy with this I stuff. Love I love it. it. I, that's great. I'm always looking at like how much uh, money per theater did it make. Mm. So mm-hmm. where you have, when you have like Mafia Mommy, Mommy, <laughs> when you have when you have mafia mommy making a thousand dollars per theater, and you have Susan May with twenty three hundred dollars per theater, yep. and things like that, this did pretty well. Uh, this was fourteen hundred dollars, which was better than the next three, I think, or something wow. like that. But I think that's fascinating, even putting in those terms. I mean, you think about twenty three hundred dollars per theater. I mean, that's that's nothing. <laughs> but I guess that's just it multiplied across the country. Well, they though. say five is unbelievably good. Wow, wow. Just to put it in perspective, the Pope's Exorcist, which was second, yep. averaged $2,800 per theater. Wow. Okay. 
Uh, Super Mario Brothers averaged twenty one hundred dollars per theater. That's unreal. But you got to think of how many screens that is. Yeah, the, what's the multiplier? There? Right. Yeah. So, <clears throat> but um, anyway, this is nefarious. It's not very well known. I think people might have seen a trailer for it uh, before some some movies in the past month or something like that. Sure. But other than that, it's called Nefarious. Rated R, an hour and thirty seven minutes. It, it's just another horror movie kind of coming out. But what is it about, Vin? And, and how do we overall like this? Why was it a packed theater too? Yeah. So, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so it, it's it's. Uh, Marketed as a horror thriller, but uh, once again, uh, I mean, I guess I have a bone to pick with genres uh, this week, but uh, it's not a horror thriller. Um, Slightly (laughs) thriller. Very slightly, but uh, it's kind of something else entirely, which is not uh, uh, the problem I have with the film. Uh, I'm sorry. Can I? Sure. Just thinking about it now, I feel like because horror has been kicking off so much, especially mm-hmm. in the start of last year. Mm. Maybe people are just trying to get the horror title. Oh, sure. For me, sure. I might roll my eyes. Yeah. I think maybe that's what brings people in a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And, and for, you know, again, even to my disbelief, this is a year of horror. year of franchises, but a year of horror. Yeah. So uh, there's a lot coming out. Anyway, sorry. I think, no, I think it's a good observation, maybe kind of a bandwagon thing. Um, this is a smaller release from director-writing duo uh, Chuck uh, Konzelman and Carrie Solomon. Mm-hmm. Uh, they created a small wave of kind of politically charged religious films in the 2010s uh, all of them are pretty terrible from what I understand. I haven't watched them myself, so <laughs> I guess like, if someone really wants me to, uh, I guess write in. 2014's God's Not Dead even sparking a trilogy of films. Uh, I was surprised. I actually had a pretty packed theater, a who's who of Fox News watchers and geriatric boomers with their <laughs> phone lights out trying to find their seats. <laughs> <laughs> but I can't stress enough. This did not scare me away from this film. I'll watch anything. I'll, I will get, give get any- it on this site. Until <laughs> your eyes bleed. The man, folks, the man is dedicated. Solder me to the AMC seats. Uh, I'll, uh, um, <laughs> I'll never get I'll come Nicole. Dro- I'll drop off, drop off a blue icy once yeah, in a while for yeah, you. You know I love He'll- those blue icies. <laughs> Nicole Kidman will be ringing in my ears forever. <laughs> but yeah, I, why well, I introduce this like this, Obviously, that's the demographic to your question of, you know, uh, right. you know, why was this a packed theater? But I really want to stress that I, I, I was watching this with, I'm, I'm trying to give it its own shot because clearly yeah. it's not, you know, by you even look at the trailer, it's not trying to be this kind of, you know, shoveled out type of stuff, right? Uh, like God's not dead and that type of stuff. It's that, not trying to be. It's not trying to be preachy, right? Right. Uh, in result, <laughs> in execution, right. unfortunately, it is a little preachy. Uh, Nefarious is centered on a convicted serial killer that has to get one last psyche vow before he is executed, but claims to be possessed by a demon. Uh, hyper-intellectual and neurotic, uh, he is ripe to be labeled as insane, and in this case, escaping his punishment. But his goals of, uh, of the character are actually to get proven otherwise, to continue on death row. He wants to be labeled as sane, to, to continue on to his execution. So there's, a, there's an interesting draw there. Uh, his goal, uh, by his own words, is to create a dark gospel to inspire the worst in people. Uh, and he plans to do this through the eyes of his new psychologist. This was described, like I said, and, and, and you know, Ray Evan on IMBD and in the marketing as mm-hmm. a horror thriller, but I can't tell you how wrong that is. 
It's dark in concept, yes, and even hints at some thrilling elements, but the whole film is just really structured as a Christian debate. And hmm. I hoped this kind of escaped that expectation. Uh, again, I, I don't know those other films of, of these two directors, but that is the kind of you know, ballpark that they are focusing on, if anything, very academic, very intellectual kind of moral concepts that are juggled between characters. But this one really just did kind of boil down to that. Sean Patrick Flannery uh, from Boondock Saints, uh, it's been a while since I've seen him, plays our manic killer Edward, uh, referring to himself as nefarious. There's like, you know, he's kind of like an I am legion, you know, uh, type of thing. He claims uh, he is fully possessed by a host of demons, uh, only occasionally letting the mentally sick man free to act. Half the time he speaks like a hyper-intelligent genius, and the other half he speaks in a... Uh, unfortunately, a borderline offensive portrayal of mental illness. Um, his acting is catastrophically bad. I, you know, if anything, I was really Sean ex- Patrick Flannery. Yeah, but the I, one thing I heard about this film that was good is just like this guy is apparently is amazing. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I thought he was awful. Oh my god. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's just some genuine overacting as its finest. He's he's blinking constantly. He's quoting scripture. He's got this superiority complex. Uh, I, I mean, I could potentially see viewers enjoying this kind of villainous persona, this this like really like over. Like he's possessed by a demon and everything. Yeah, like that. yeah. But for me, it was tastelessly over the top. It's like a terrible mix of Hannibal Lecter, Nick Cage, and a healthy dash of Heath Ledger's Joker, basically. So uh, that sounds amazing. Uh, in a hammy way, maybe. I think when it flips to that other side, uh, it was not. Wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, when it flips full, when he goes in full in the cage. <laughs> yeah. Right. right. <laughs> there is, um, you know, it, he 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 really steamrolls every scene, uh, and I, I have thoughts on that of of where this kind of kind of falls short with this debate type of format mm-hmm. to it. Yeah, I mean, I listen, I, if if you enjoy a villainous persona, I like a lot of hammy villains, you know, I I'll I'll, you know, I'll I'll give praise to some things. I think where crit- uh, my critique falls with this is when he flips to that victim side and when he's not possessed. There is a cartoonish depiction of mental illness. Understand that this film takes itself very, very seriously, like super, like too seriously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and that's fine. You know, it's, you know, they're talking about grim things, and they're talking about you know, moral, and it's it's kind of a moral crisis type of debate. Uh, yet when he snaps into this mode, it had me recalling that forbidden rule from Tropic Thunder. You know, you never go full, and I'll, I'll leave it at that. I'll leave it at that. Uh, uh, it, it's just, it's. Just, it's 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 just too much. It's just it's too much on one side, and then it's too much, way too much on the other okay. side. The unpossessed. I, now side. I have a question about the actual plot. Now, sure, because the idea is he he needs to be proven that he's not crazy to get right. to, for execution. Right? No, no. Um, uh, he he wants to get executed, but by all accounts, he's saying he's possessed. He's acting insane. So then all he, the other psychologists have labeled him as insane, continuing his delay of his execution. Okay. He wants to die. But my thing is, but he's actually mentally handicapped in real life? Uh, right, right. When he lets go, when the well, the demon lets go of Edward, right. uh, he's now, clearly mentally handicapped. 
Is it talked about as he's mentally handicapped, or is he overacting that much? Were you uh, as a per- I, or you literally thought he was acting so ridiculously? Uh, uh, maybe a little bit of both. Uh, it's hard to tell because uh, secondary characters are very evil spirited. Uh, okay. They're very mean to him. So it wasn't like people were showing sympathy <laughs> in a way that would maybe give that okay, as an okay. indicator. <laughs> and yeah, it, it, and that that really does play on some of these. Unfortunately, the trappings of these two directors. Again, I'm happy to give, as, if anything, writers and writer directors a shot because clearly they are from the conception of this and then in the execution of it. Right. I think that's important to study. When it comes to this, you just it's when you're experiencing this film, they have no other priority than making this like religious Joker character, and I don't know, it just just wasn't working. Okay. Um, our supporting character, or second character, Dr. Martin, uh, is a atheist psychologist, um, which initially presents a good opposition, but is honestly just a total washout. He has none of the character built up compared to who he opposes. And granted, the you know it's called Nefarious. It's about the dude named Nefarious, mm-hmm. but he's just kind of steamrolled in every scene. It kind of fails at the very necessary ping pong that is needed for this dialogue to work. We say it often that time, that volume yeah. back and forth. Yeah, yeah, and, and especially it's it's tough because this film knows it kind of wants to be a debate. So if you kind of know about this debate and and, and that that's the structure of the film, you'd think you'd want him kind of knocked back and forth. But right, right. He's just steamrolled in every scene, both by performance. Being this this <laughs> wild performance, uh, and uh, and as well just being just a washout as far as what he has to stand up to morally and the actual you know intellectual side of what they're talking. Sure, about. okay. the The only way I would say this comes close to being a suggested genre is that it is horrifically boring. Uh, it is wow. that that is the only way that it is a horror because <laughs> you will be <laughs> bored. Uh, it's an hour and thirty seven. Right. So it is. It's. It it's is, just hour thirty seven of talking. Uh, yeah, basically, it yeah. all takes place in in uh, this this not cell prison, this briefing room kind of thing, interrogation room. The dialogue is so extremely hand fisted. I, I find it a kind of just a total mismatch for the format. It just simply should not be a film. And I think in that ways, I don't really want to knock it uh, because it just it just shouldn't have been a film, like a play. Uh, sure, a, a stage play, uh, an academic debate. I mean, you know, I, okay. I I feel like trying to make this into a film. They are so hyper focused on what they want to achieve through the story, through the message, uh, that they lose making. Something to engage the audience. Yeah, visually appealing. Right, visually Mm -hmm. appealing or through the medium of of a movie. This unfortunately kind of solidified my fears of coming off their previous work that this is just a Christian debate and they have no other interest in doing that. And listen, folks, if if that's what you're interested in, sure, go ahead. If you want want to see Christian Joker, you know, go for it. But I feel like that's where this was failing for me. I'll give some slight props to the script for... Being so concerned with theology and morality, the main action be- of the film being characters debating, I would say that's initially interesting. Yeah. However, nothing is done to engage the audience visually. Uh, it is a interesting debate for one scene that is stretched to a feature-length film. Ah. Uh, it is like if S- Shyamalan's split took place in one room, basically. Okay. Um, it's just very simple shot, reverse shot formula, and nothing done to mix it up. And that's where I was saying with Air, you know, kind of retroactively, I was saying, well, you know, 
Air had a lot of dialogue like this, a lot of negotiation. Um, it was kind of nice to see that that spiced up a little bit into how it's presented in cinematography. Oh, that's true. Yeah, I was able to do something different. Yeah, yeah. here it's just boom, 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 boom. You know, shot, reverse shot, cookie cutter, low butt, just yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So, also that interrogation. It was edited room. by the guy who has edited Jordan Peele stuff, like Nope. Oh, really? Yeah. Well. <laughs> <laughs> can't, can't say anything there uh, but yeah I, I don't think the film storyline aside obviously you know maybe even the the landmine of 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 this kind of theological debate uh, sure. and the and the intellectual side of it aside i, I feel like it, it is is failing at, in a very particular way in being an engaging movie why is this in presented through the format of film yep i don't feel like it justifies that at all this honestly should have been like a stage player academic debate, like I said, with a little bit of spice that uses this kind of demonic character to spout dominant opinions at the audience. I feel the concept of this film is trying to capture the magnetic feel of something like the interrogation scene in The Dark Knight, where two sharp minds are combating each other morally speaking but this fails because it only has one side of that a man spouting ideas that are uncountered by the character that receives them and and gives no perspective of his own and in this you can see clear as day these directors have no interest in fleshing out both sides we're going to go ahead and give nefarious a 24 Woo! <laughs> yeah. boring boring to tears even wow uh, yeah. packed theater okay <laughs> 24% not good not, not good. good I'll say this uh, folks out there you're you're craving a you know a debate morally maybe with some theology mixed in watch mass uh, I have I've shouted out that movie more than uh. I think most movies but um, that is a movie that plays with the format of people talking and keeps you engaged with how they are kind of juggle yeah, the opposition man. totally agree with that yeah totally that's a good movie mass and similarly to you know it hits on the you know theological level if uh, if that's the demographic to an extent here. yeah yeah wow okay all right so 20 24 for nefarious let's see if we can keep on going down baby <laughs> down down so our next film here speaking of nick cage <laughs> this is nick cage's new movie this is called renfield again horror but also a little bit of comedy in there yep. to understand uh, like i said nicholas cage uh, nicholas cage and nicholas holt as well uh, very snappy. Rated R, hour and 33. Again, Vin, how was Renfield? Uh, Renfield, I was actually a little excited for, believe it or not. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. Oh. Uh, wow. <laughs> <he> goes, oh. <laughs> uh, flashback to our zombie special, and you will find I really enjoy when horror comedy uses the rules of the monster for the setup. And here, the concept of a vampire's thrall is spun as an abusive relationship, which I think... Is a pretty fun premise right out of the gate. I like that. That's uh, that. That's a good use of the of the vampire mythos. Um, so I was kind of hoping for a Shaun of the Dead style movie with mm, this. Okay, and at least it's there in a few ways. You know, it's it's not all the way there, but um, it does kind of capture some of those moments where I find the comedy was clever and using vampires in a good way. I I can I tell you what I got from the trailer? Uh, sure, sure. Okay. I was expecting Nick Cagey Dracula comedy uh-uh. meets Dracula John Wick. <laughs> oh, no. And that's how I got from the trailer. Uh, you hit on the... I mean, it's a lot of genres. It's... it's okay. uh... <laughs> We're just gonna have to redefine all these. Yeah, things yeah. Now. I, I know. I, I'm not happy with how they're marketing anymore. <laughs> um, 
But okay, okay so I was wrong on that. But go ahead and just get, uh, I mean, get into you it. You are you are on the money in the sense that there are a lot of action scenes, a lot of shooting. Yeah, uh, just from the trailer is what I got. Yeah, exactly. A lot of fights and right. whatnot. So, uh, Chris McKay is our director here, uh, and film wise, I think he has one big win and one big miss. Um, the big win being, of course, Lego Batman. Uh, no joke, mm-hmm. honestly, one of the better Batman movies that's ever existed. Uh, what made me question him as a director was the Tomorrow, the Tomorrow oh, War. Wow, uh, a truly awful sci-fi movie that was put out as streaming fodder. We covered this in our third episode ever on the podcast. Well, once again, <laughs> viewer beware, yeah, listener uh, beware. Maybe <laughs> a little bit stilted, uh, but but uh, I guess you know all this movie watching starting to pay some dividends. So that's what we get out of that. Right. <laughs> out of watching the Tomorrow War. Renfield, played by Nicholas Holt, is an immortal servant of Dracula, uh, played by the ever-excessive Nick Cage, working towards regenerating his master in present-day New Orleans. Uh, After so many decades, though, he is tired uh, of this. Uh, He's tired of this servitude to Dracula, and that leads him to trying to getting over this gaslighting and emotional abuse from his undead lord. He goes to support groups, and he leans on other people in his life and kind of new friendships and new romantic interests to basically kind of ask for advice of how do you get rid of, uh, (laughs) you know, a nightmare relationship. Uh, Meanwhile, he is, you know, immortally... (laughs) tied as the familiar to Dracula. He finds a bit of romance in a police officer played by Aquafina, and more than just Dracula's bad side in a gang le- in a gang led by Ben Schwartz. Um, uh, without a doubt, <laughs> you're not digging Ben Schwartz. No. <laughs> Once again, a tie back to Sonic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, without a doubt, I would call this a dark comedy. I mean, no, no questions there, but it's also like 11 other things. It's a gory, horror, romance, crime, action movie, and and in that it's very busy. Uh, You watch this and it's like, oh boy, I mean, I don't know. It's a Uh, lot going on. I know. It made me always feel a little bit old, if I'm being honest. I can't keep up with the the new (laughs) flicks. What about all these genres? Maybe maybe you belong to Nefarious. Got more at home, did you? (laughs) I was fitting right in. Fitting right in. Got my suspenders on, everything. But um, yeah, I think think it's just a little bit busy. And and I think why that's a bone to pick for me is it's distracting from what I think is, honestly, what should have been the whole film. Take Dracula, take what we know as Dracula, right, and and a vampire familiar, and work with this abusive emotional, you know, dependency. You know, I, I think that's a good, that's all, that's kind of all you need. Uh, and the ammo for your comedy for setups and payoffs are what we know Dracula to be. But we get really lost in the sauce a little bit here. Um, I got to say, what is saving this whole thing is Nick Cage. Nick Cage is so, so good at Really? This. Oh, yeah. Oh, fantastic. Okay. And the right environment for his hamminess. The right environment for him being, you know, Like crazy. a silly Dracula almost, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, oh, yeah, okay. And way more of a starring role than I expected. You know, having him be more active in this movie saves it from mediocrity. He's so fantastic as a classic Bela Lugosi style Dracula there's a in the very opening sequences there's actually a uh, I don't know what you call it a homage a, a a joke related to the original Dracula film where they try to film it like that old movie uh, uh. 
uh, he has like the, the the bar of light on his eyes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I thought it was like really charming. I I, I love that aspect. That's kind of funny. And clearly, Nick Cage is like a a film enthusiast that he would pull from that as well. That he's trying to be this like classical Dracula. That, that probably was his idea or something yeah. like that. <laughs> yeah. So, what percentage was would you say Nicholas Holt? to Nick Cage. Uh, Nicholas is definitely the... Uh, um, what am I saying, Nicholas? <laughs> Holt is definitely the the lead, 100%. Um, right. If anything, Dracula is just the bad guy in this. Yeah. So he gets a lot of time, but not as much as I would like, but what he's there, he saves it all. Because I would definitely want... Uh, yeah, I would want to see him a lot. One, yeah. I, I almost think the, the movie shoots itself in the foot a little bit. You have one of the most recognizable names in horror yep. that you're not utilizing. Yep. You know what I mean? Dracula's nowhere to be found in sure. the thing. It's just Renfield. Sure. Which I don't know if it helps it. You know what I mean? Yeah, Renfield is, a, I guess, uh, I, I don't know if this goes back to like Bram Stoker or, Stoker or, or what, or the original books, uh, but uh, Renfield, I guess, is like his main servant. Like number two. Uh, yeah, yeah, his yeah. familiar. But you know what I mean? I think the title might hurt itself a little bit. Sure. I, and Nicholas Holt is a big name himself now. Yeah, Like absolutely. he's definitely in a lot of things. Absolutely. Um, I actually don't mind him. I think he's he's all right. Mm-hmm. But I definitely, like, I'm, I was kind of waiting to hear from you. This movie was, I feel like, doing a little bit better. Once when it came out, mm-hmm. getting a little bit better reviews than it was getting... Um, with like the critics before it came out, sure. the, the early release stuff or mm-hmm. the like the screeners that people get. But yeah, I mean, I want to go and see Nick Cage. <laughs> yeah. I want to go and see Nick Cage. And luckily, I think that's where it really makes the cut is for Nick Cage. As messy as the film is, it's just he's he's endlessly entertaining. He that's, has that's like great. this throne of blood bags at one point. <laughs> uh, they get very adventurous as well with like. If he hasn't feed, fed for a while, like he'll start decaying and like cool prosthetic That's work. Cool. Yeah. Apparently, so. he like shaves his teeth in real life. <laughs> Maybe not to the extent that they are in the movie, but like wow. he, he shaved his teeth down. But that's good old Cage. I know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, as far as the B plot goes, Aquafina is pretty decent. I, I, I really, I don't know. I, I she's popping up more and more. Yeah, I, I enjoy her deadpan delivery. I think it's just like she's kind of real. I don't know. Uh, I don't have you know very elaborate thoughts on it uh her side of the story holds the more generic parts of the story it's uh, the romance it's the cops it's the crime lords you know all of it felt very unneeded especially with how fun the moments are when renfield is working through this emotional abuse like those are the jokes that work cops ben schwartz as this crime lord mm, yeah. i mean funny for certainly some people in the audiences actually this was a jam-packed theater that i saw it and i saw it on wednesday what uh yeah what oh yeah people <laughs> i don't want to get into shaming of <laughs> the theater I'm... but bust in a gut at very clearly unfunny pieces wow. of this movie what were people doing in the theater on wednesday i know yeah no less seeing renfield but yeah, yeah exactly right <laughs> but you know that that's that's where my observation lies is that um, I just feel like it was a lot of unneeded and clearly very messy uh, to it okay. um, and and fell into more of a generic piece. Like the romance, oh no, it was just like, do we really need a romance in this as well? It's funny enough, you know, I don't know. Right, that duo. Yeah. And Boston disgruntled employee type yeah, aspect. It's I good thought enough. that's all you needed. Mm-hmm. So, the writing talent here comes from Rick and Morty, uh, as well as Walking Dead and Invincible, uh, all very big hits. Uh, it's a shame because I think there is a colossal amount of exposition. Uh, every character just dumps the last ten years of history on you, uh, mm. and it's very sloppy. Now, unlike a good person, uh, maybe not weighing it as as critical there, because a good person was a drama. 
this is a comedy. Maybe they need to get that stuff out of the way. But I still felt it was very sloppy with how much tenure uh, our writer has. Ryan Ridley, I believe his name is. Also, there's a surprisingly very little setup to payoffs on jokes. I feel like there's so much more that could have been built up for comedic payoff throughout the film. So much more, especially in just like building, you know, I don't know, cute little tiebacks to it. Setup right. and payoff, I think, is so key uh, to comedy and as I fine-tune my, my criticism more and more, it really is just the longer you run a bit, the funnier it gets. Right. I think that's, that's, that's a winning <laughs> winning strategy right there. So I would say a big highlight is blood and prosthetic work. Like I said, it's pretty awesome most of the time. Dracula has that blood bag throne room, which was just, I saw that. I was like, oh, that's awesome. He'll decompose. Uh, there's some very over-the-top CGI that looks bad, but it's intentionally bad. Okay, that's good then. Uh, that's fine. It's, it's kind of used as a comedic thing. You know, like I said, I was in it for the subversions of the ma- vampire myth, which, uh, you know, do get repeated of the film. I want a little bit more variety, but um, they are there. Uh, I think the best is having in modern New Orleans welcome mats in front of doors, and that's all he needs to infiltrate the <laughs> infiltrate the room. So uh, that was that was kind of a you know fun flip on it. Uh, other than that, I would say the beginning of the film is when it was at its best. Uh, they show that uh, they show that wonderful uh, kind of recreation of the original Dracula. Uh, but as the movie goes on, that's where it falls more and more into a generic case. I would say give it a watch if you dig something like Shaun of the Dead. Mm. And certainly to our many Nick Cage fans listening, <laughs> I know because you're in my ear about Nick Cage, uh, a great performance from him. We're going to go ahead and give Renfield a 65. Oh, okay, great. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Wow, it's our best film this week. <laughs> I know. You had a tough one, Ben. I know. That's when you were asking order. I was like, yeah, let's put Renfield last. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, thank God. The Pope's Exorcist and Fairies and Renfield were all within an hour, less than an hour and 40 at least for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, uh, okay, so 65. Yeah, I think, I think yeah, I, I, that kind of excites me a little bit. We're coming off of, of course, last year, Nick Cage. I really liked mm-hmm. um the movie that I can't even remember the name of now. Oh, uh, um, uh, Unbearable Weight. Unbearable Weight of Mass yep. Talent. By mm-hmm. the way, you gave that a 65. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Mm, these stats, these working against but we me. Love, <laughs> <laughs> but we love Cage, though. Yes, yeah. Okay, so Renfield. Okay. I think we have a good idea. If, if you don't want to go see the Super Mario Brothers, or if you have seen it already, <laughs> here's what you're dealing with a little bit. Right. That's what this week kind of was. Yeah, this is Fallout from John Wick crowd. If they like horror movies. Um, <laughs> I, I totally forgot to say, I, I saw a movie this week. Oh, okay. Of course. on I saw the, the, the second best movie on Thursday night, Vin, which was, of course, the re-release of Lord of the Rings Return <laughs> oh, of the King. Oh, how did we not talk about this? And I didn't, I didn't realize extended version. No way. Which, of course, obviously I've never seen on the big screen. Sure. Uh, Pack Theater. That's of awesome. Course. Yeah, pack theater. Good for them. And uh, yeah, Lord of the Rings did great that night. That's great. And it was cool to see, uh, you know, me and producer Sean went. <laughs> and four hours of good. We didn't watch the 20 minutes of the uh, credits, but yeah, nice four hour movie sit down on Thursday. That's great. How How is the, the theater reaction? What is it? 20th? Uh, 20th yeah, yeah 20th i don't know why they're releasing it now um and not like on the actual 20th anniversary in december oh okay who knows the, i'm sure there's something big coming out or sure like sure uh but yeah yeah it was cool to go back and and see it again yeah there were moments in the movie that like people still had a reaction to no. <laughs> 
Which people was, watching it for the first time. It seemed like some people watching it for the first time a little yeah, bit. Yeah, But to see it on big on screen and kind of be taken back a little bit was pretty cool. Yeah. I, I, I wish it did the 20th anniversaries of the ones leading up. Yeah. You that know, w- Fellowship two years ago. Right. Two Towers last year and then Return of the King this year would just make sense. Yeah. But they just went for the Return of the King special extended, which, hey. I'm happy, said, any, I'm happy to have anything. I'm happy to have anything. Extended, running the lights right. too long, the electric bill on it. <laughs> uh, I'll say this, though. There's not really, I forget what the company is, but it's uh-huh. this one company that kind of brings it to theaters a little bit. Okay. And they do this with other films as well, mm-hmm. um, you know, anniversary films and stuff. So there's no previews in front of it. Mm-hmm. So instead, for that 15 or 20 minutes, they showed, uh, I don't know, it was kind of like the Dungeons and Dragons, but Lord of the Rings version. No way. And they just showed the panel, and the guy, the beatboxing guy on James Corden, who does the music. <laughs> you got me there. I don't he know. Was in- <laughs> <laughs> the beatboxing guy. I don't know. <laughs> if I said the name, people know what I'm talking sure, about. Sure, sure, yeah. Anyway, that guy was there. Elijah Wood like introduced it. It was seriously cringy Dude, no it was way. seriously cringy even for like a hardcore fan it was terrible Damn. Um, I, like really really bad really Damn. bad i got up and went to go buy my popcorn <laughs> at that point but uh it was cool to sit in the theater and see that yeah again. absolutely i'm glad you had that experience because yeah no less theatrical did you see well i guess you saw return of the king normally when you were a kid correct yeah i well i saw all of them but not theatrical uh, i'm sorry oh, not oh, extended. extended no n- I mean. no no on the big screen it was crazy it was yeah, awesome yeah so that was cool. I mean, I, yeah, I, I, they're doing these 20-year anniversaries a lot, or like 25th anniversary for Titanic. Mm. In, in 2014, I saw the 20th anniversary of um, 40, the old 47% Forrest Gump. <laughs> 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 but uh, I, it, they're doing it more and more, which I think is kind of cool. Yeah. Okay, Vin, now going back to these films that are in theaters, um, any anything you want to comment on or anything you're looking forward to or, or roll credits here? Uh, no, I mean, I was happy to do the five new releases, uh, you know, put in my homework, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I think uh, the story is told in the box office and, uh, you know, it's it's kind of the same. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely in agreement there. And again, uh, Super Mario's going to rank supreme next week, <laughs> yeah. I'm sure. Right, right. And potentially the week after that, too. Yeah. So. <laughs> But uh, anyway, if you want to see some of these folks, I hope we, we hope, uh, definitely Vin laid them out for you well. Vin, thank you so much for going to the theater. Thanks for watching all these films and stopping by here. Folks at home, we'll run it down one more time. We have A Good Person with a 63%, Air with a 59%, The Pope's Exorcist with a 32%, Nefarious with a 24%, and Renfield with a 65%. Folks, thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next week on the Daily Ratings Podcast. If you enjoyed the podcast, if you would, could you give us a good rating or tell a friend about us? If you're wondering if a film is worth a watch, or if you'd just like to see more movie ratings from Vince, be sure to stop by thedailyratings.com, where we have our ever-expanding catalog of films. Also, if you found value in the podcast or our site, become a producer and go to the d- Donations tab on thedailyratings.com. You can donate whatever amount of value you feel you received from us. We're looking to build this into something large and great, but also be independent from those corporate sponsors. So we greatly appreciate any support from you all. So thanks so much, and we'll see you next time on the Daily Ratings Podcast.